0: Well, good morning. It's a little crazy what's going on up here right now. We've got a short bumper, and resetting quickly is kind of hard. Um, But we're glad that you're joining us this morning, and we are looking forward next week, hopefully, seeing you in person. Uh, As Scott said, we're going to be continuing, for the most part, all of our same... Uh, precautions that we were doing and last summer when we started doing online only and uh, so we're really looking forward to seeing you we're hoping that these numbers will continue to drop and many of you have already gotten vaccinations uh, and as warmer weather's coming in really looking forward to moving forward in lots of different ways uh, but we hope you'll show up we hope that you'll be here I know it's been comfortable being at home on your couch or laying in bed having your pajamas on uh... But we need each other and we need to spend time together so i hope that you'll join us we have been putting some final touches on a few things to be ready and uh... you'll notice um, this whole stage area looks different today and it's going to look even different uh... next week as well but uh... we're trying to get things ready so that when we come together we recognize we're not necessarily the same people we were a year ago and some things have changed the world has changed some of the dynamics Of relationships have changed, so we are going to be spending quite a bit of time working on um, enjoying life together, having fun together. There is, I I keep telling people, there is a, a therapeutic quality to laughter. When you get together and have fun and you just laugh, and I, and I don't mean a snicker and I don't mean a forced laugh, but I mean the kind of thing that you just so love to be with someone and it just comes from deep in your soul and you as you laugh, you just let out so many things that are going on inside of you. We're going to laugh together and do a lot of uh, really fun things. So as we prepare to do that, I want to give you a little bit of a picture before we jump into our last week of emotions, I want to give you a little bit of a picture of what this is gonna look like. Now, Scott has already shared some of this, and if you watched our announcement video this week, then you saw some of this there as well. But I wanna give you a little more um, information about what to expect. So, next week will be the first Sunday that we're basically saying if you wanna be here, be here. Come. Join us. Let's see each other. Let's uh, laugh together. Let's worship together. Uh, let's start a new chapter together. So that's going to be next week. Now, we are going to be doing coffee again, which we didn't do any during the summer. It's literally been a year. We had to make sure the coffee pot still worked, uh, but it does. And so we're going to be doing coffee. But some of the other changes you'll see around our facility. Uh, you're going to see it as soon as you walk in the door, and we're going to be changing the way that we do coffee. Everything we're going to be looking at moving forward is going to be how do we best create a very personal um, expression or relational expression to someone when they walk in the door. What I expect and what many expect and think is going to happen in these next few weeks is there's going to be uh, some people asking new questions. They're going to be looking for places that may help with some of those questions. I-, I think we're going to have a lot of guests that are going to be here, which is another reason that if you feel safe, if you don't feel safe, we're going to continue doing online indefinitely. We were online before the pandemic. We'll be online after the pandemic. But if you feel comfortable, if you've been vaccinated, or if you're in an immunity period because you had COVID, or you're just, in general, comfortable getting out, your presence will help us minister to guests as they come in the door. And I think we're going to have a lot of people asking questions, looking for an opportunity uh, to worship with us. So I hope that you'll be here. You're going to notice some of those personal touches when you walk in the door. And I'm going to be sharing some ways that you can help because right now there's not been a lot of ways for you to serve, but you can, and we're going to need you to do that. So that starts next week, March 14th. That's going to start all of our in-person activities that we are starting with. So I want to ask you to be patient with us but we are excited about some things that are coming. So that means in-person student ministry is returning. And I will tell you if there's one area of the church that has been transformed the most, It is the student suite, and and most of them have no idea what it's going to look like or be like. And parents, we're going to give you a sneak peek. Scott's going to be reaching out to you to have a parent meeting. Um, We're going to invite you, if you're comfortable, to come and be in that meeting. And if you're not, we'll Zoom you in. Um, And we want you not only to see that, but we want you to see what we're thinking about long term. So we've been talking about youth ministry and what does it look like to minister to students today today. And how do we do that moving forward? So we want to share that with you. We also want to get some feedback from you. We hope that you'll involve your kids as they come back together, and we're going to have lots of opportunities for them to just have fun and enjoy life together as well. College ministry is also starting back, and I'll be in touch with all of our college students. If you um, are a college student and you would like to be involved in our college small group uh, that my wife and I lead right now, then we would love for you to be involved with that. That's going to start back next week as well. And the big question that many of you have been asking is, when is kids ministry starting back? So we have no idea what Easter is going to look like. Easter is the most holy day that Christians celebrate all year long. It is generally the most attended Sunday for most churches. Um, Not always, but it's generally the most attended service for people that if they're going to come once a year, they're going to come that day. Last year, we didn't do any Easter activities. We didn't do any Holy Week activities, and our Easter service was online this year we don't know really what to expect, how many people are coming and we are relaunching all of these ministries. Kids ministry, we haven't had a volunteer show up to volunteer in kids ministry for a year. So we are not assuming that we want to go back to doing ministry exactly the way we did a year ago. The reality is things have changed. We've reevaluated some of the things that we and in all reality even though we're a fairly young church The world has changed drastically since that first service we had back in 2008. And as the world has changed drastically, some of the ways that we share our faith, that we do discipleship, that we reach kids and students and young people have changed. Because we have changed. The way we function have changed. Our schedules have changed. How we interact. We th- with each other has changed. And so we've taken this last year to be praying about that, to be thinking about that, and to consider what does it really look like for us to move forward. Now, you're going to see some rethinking in lots of areas, but it's not going to be unrecognizable for things we've done in the past. Although as we continue to talk and as we ac- t- continue to evaluate, we may find that we want to make even more adjustments moving forward. Kids ministry is on a lot of our young families' minds, and you're wondering, when is that returning? And, and maybe you've already seen our announcement, but on April 11th, which is the Sunday after Easter, um, we want you to come to Easter with your kids. We're going to be designing the services to have your kids involved, but the Sunday after Easter, we're going to return to preschool um, and nursery ministry for kids, basically birth through first grade. So if you have kids in that age group, then we will be receiving them on April 11th, and we are right now planning for that, and we are asking for volunteers in that direction. If you've been a children's uh, volunteer, we're not going to assume that you want to do that again. We hope you will, and if you're a parent of a young one, we hope that you will also help us by serving one time a month. So if you are interested in serving in our children's ministry, I need you to get in touch with me, or you can get in touch with Deidre, and we will get you connected. Now, parents of our elementary schoolers, you are wondering, okay, that's great for my kids who are first grade or younger, but what about our elementary school students? What are we going to do for them? And I will tell you, this is one of the age groups that we are most taking time to pray through and to consider what does it look like to do meaningful elementary school ministry in 2021. The reason it's so important is because most studies tell us that if a child is going to make a decision for faith or to follow Christ, they're going to do it in these elementary school years. That makes that a very vulnerable group, and what we do and spending time with them, very important. What we also know is that there is one central relationship that is the most important in elementary school kids coming to faith in Christ. And that relationship is their parent. Now, recognizing these two dynamics, we are rethinking how we do elementary school ministry. Now, starting next week, we hope to be sharing with you a list of ways that we are not going to be excluding them. We're going to have some activities both for you as parents and for your kids moving forward. We're still working on the details, and I want to share them with you, but I want you to know When we're not kicking off this initial time with elementary school ministry, we are not leaving them out. In fact, we'll have a portion of every Sunday morning service for them that will be dedicated to reach them. So I hope that you'll be here, drop your little ones off, bring your elementary kids in, you'll participate in the things that we are looking at moving forward. We're going to be reaching out to you parents to get some feedback and to see how you're doing and some some of what your needs are, so we can incorporate that into our planning as well. This is not the end of COVID. <laughs> so as much as we're excited about these new things coming in, uh, the reality is, is we're not ready to, to just open the floodgates and try to pack the place out, although if that happens, we'll find a way to make it work and keep people safe. We want to do it and use wisdom and discernment, We want people to be safe when they come in and when they leave, but we also want to do meaningful ministry and we feel it's time to get that moving. So stay up to date uh, with us. We'll continue to, to share ways that you can serve. If you are interested in getting plugged in, there are some ways that you can do that now. The worship team is always looking for opportunities for those of you who are interested in serving on the worship team. We've done a very scaled-down acoustic set for most of our online services as we're moving into in-person stuff. We would love for you to be able to do that with us. Our tech team, technology has grown over this last year, and so if you're interested in learning tech and being involved in tech, we need you, and we would love for you to serve in that capacity. We're also looking for kids' volunteers starting with these two groups, and so we're going to have less of a demand for volunteers right up front, but we still need people who will love these kids and love each other. So if you're interested in serving in those areas, you can go to journeychattanooga.com forward slash serve. You can fill out a form and just say, I'm interested in serving in these areas, and we will get in touch with you. One other ministry that is going to be crucial for us moving forward is going to be a ministry of hospitality uh, or a welcome team. I really believe we're about to see large numbers of people looking to answer new questions in their lives. Even when we were doing in-person services with just a skeleton crew and just a few people showing up, we had tons of guests this past summer and fall. They're looking for connections for people. They want to know from us, is this a place where I can plug in? Are these people that will care about me? Is, is this a place I can see investing my life in? One of the best ways we can do that is not from the stage, but from the moment they walk in the door. So we're going to be doing coffee a little bit differently. We're going to be welcoming a little bit differently. If you would be open to doing that, I want to hear from you, and I would like to hear from you soon, because this is an important ministry to building relationships. And I will tell you, for me, one of my core goals in these next few months is to not only build relationships, but to rebuild some relationships that we've missed for the last year. So if you're interested, journeychattanooga.com forward slash serve, and um, I am looking forward to to doing this together with you. I'm looking forward to you seeing some of the changes that have been made here, but I want you to know what we are planning for and what we are working for cannot be covered in paint or in carpet. Um, It is something that changes our hearts our minds, and our souls. So we are looking forward to that. One thing before I jump in, and I do, you may be thinking, boy, Mark's taking a long time to get to the sermon. I'm planning a shorter sermon. Not everyone that's in the room with me right now believes that's possible. But uh, I do have a little bit of a shorter sermon because I wanted to share this stuff with you. But I also want to share a prayer request with you and ask you to be praying for a friend of, of mine and a friend of our churches. Ken Sauer is the Pastor of Red Bank United Methodist Church. He has, over the last couple of years, become a really good friend. Uh, I spend a lot of time with him. Uh, we pray together. We're in a network of pastors together. We partner together with uh, the Red Bank Food Pantry, which was his brainchild. And the Red Bank Food Pantry, I think this last week, fed over 1,000 people. His heart is genuine, and it is big, He loves everyone he comes in contact with, and if you know him, you know he is the eternal optimist. He's a guy that just exudes joy uh, no matter what's going on. I got a text from him this week. We've been praying for him over a number of things, and this week he was diagnosed uh, with cancer. So he is going to be having surgery um, middle of April. And I want to ask you to be praying for my friend, Ken. He is an important part of our community. Uh, His church is doing good work in our community that we are partnering with them. And when I talked to him um, the day that he was diagnosed, I said, Ken, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. And if you know Ken, you can just hear it coming out of his mouth. I'm doing great. I've lived a great life. God is going to take care of this. And I I have got nothing to complain about. So... um, Hopes are high. The prognosis was early, and so uh, he does have surgery here in a few weeks. And I asked him, Ken, would you mind if I share this with our church so we can be praying for you? And so I would just ask you to join me in praying for Ken. i want to do that right now, and then I want to jump into our last week of emotions. Father, God, I thank you that you have sustained us over this last year. This last year has been painful in many ways. There have been unexpected joys in many ways. You have been with us, you have watched over us, and you have a plan as we move forward in 2021. I am thankful for that. I pray you would continue to work throughout our medical community, and you will bring healing to those who have been struggling with COVID, that the numbers will continue to drop. Father, I pray that your hand would be upon us as more and more people are asking deeper questions about life than just, what am I going to do today, or how do I make a living or what do I spend my money on? Instead, they're asking deep soul questions about what makes me who I am. What is most important about life? How do I fill these empty holes that I fill every single day? I know those questions are growing and I pray that we would be in a position to help them answer those Questions. I pray that you be with us as we plan for the future. That we would use wisdom and discernment, but I pray that you would also empower us through your Holy Spirit, so that we can be a, a, a faith community that affects all those around us, that they can find hope, healing, joy, and love. Father, I pray for my friend Ken. Father, he is doing such great work in our community. His heart is completely sold out to you. His love for you and for your church is enormous. And Father, I pray that you would be with he and his family as they are processing this new news, as he's leading his church and leading these ministries at the same time, preparing to step away as he is undergoing treatment. Father, I pray that you would bring complete healing within his body. Father, I pray that you would encourage his wife and his children that you would give them a great sense of hope and that your power is at work within their family. Father, I pray that you would raise up people from all around him to, to step in the void and to help. Father, I pray that we would be able to care for him well. I thank you for his ministry. I thank you for his friendship. I pray for your work in his body. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, thank you for that. Okay, I could quit right now, couldn't I? Um, I've just said a lot, and I could quit um i'm gonna this is what we're gonna do today. So the whole point of this series that we've been in has been for us to recognize we have a lot of feels right now, right? We have a lot of emotions that are going on within us. Some of those are good, some of those are not so good. Hope may be growing as the sun is out longer, and the weather's getting warmer, and the numbers of COVID cases are dropping. Hope may be growing, but we still are carrying with us the anxieties, the fears, maybe the anger, some of the things that have just carried through this pandemic with us. We have a lot of feels right now, and what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, if you want to go back and watch, is we've been looking at some of the emotions that not only do we have, but Jesus had. We see that Jesus had all kinds of emotions. That stoic, stone-faced figure that just tends to glide in all of the artwork about him is not the picture of Jesus that we see in Scripture. We see a man who fully experienced life, its highs and its lows. We talked about anxiety, despair, depression. We looked at the anxiety that Jesus experienced in the garden on the night before he was to be tortured And then killed. We saw that he sweat drops of blood. He was in such a a mode of, of just angst. And while sometimes in the church we look at these emotions and we say, well, those aren't spiritual emotions, how can we look at Jesus and see that Jesus felt anxiety and say, this is not a spiritual thing? We looked at anger and the reality that anger is not the first emotion to surface when we get angry. It always follows another emotion. It can be disappointment. Usually it's hurt. And so when we get angry, it is a sign that something else is going on within us. Jesus showed us its anger is a part of life. It's been given to you as a part of the human condition, but how you manage it matters, Scripture simply says about that, be angry, but do not sin. We saw that in Jesus. We talked about some other emotions that feel better and are more exciting and things that we want to experience. We talked about joy. We talked about hope. We talked about faith and the fact that faith is not just an alternative reality. But faith is based on evidence of what is true and what is real. We spent some time talking about love because love is the preeminent. It is what makes everything make sense. It is the thing in which God says, everything that I'm doing in your life and in your world can be summed up in one word, it is love. And even though faith and hope are crucially important, even though things, those things are eventually going to go away, and the thing that will be left when God finally recreates all that he's going to recreate when Jesus comes again, the thing that's going to be left is love. We talked about it being active. The Bible does not really talk about love solely in the realm of feelings, even though most English definitions only focus on feelings, which is one of the reasons that we seek this, these love experiences over and over and over again because we constantly feel empty because that's not really what love was meant to be. Love was meant to be something that you receive as you give. And I share with you a quote that I've shared several times over the years from Tim Sanders who said, you will go farther by trying to invest in two people in a year than trying to get two people to invest in you. You will go farther by loving two people than trying to get two people to love you. Love is so crucially important. Last week we talked about hurt and the reality is you cannot live life without being hurt. And some go through more hurt in a life than others. And so we not only talked about hurt, the fact that Jesus himself experienced hurt, but where is God in the hurt? That's what we talked about last week. Today, I want to just kind of neatly wrap this up. And the reality is I can't really do it neatly and I can't do it justice in a few minutes. But I want to share with you some ways to live intentionally rather than living emotionally. The reality is we are more likely right now in this moment to be driven by our emotions than probably at any other time in our lives like we've got all these feelings we're not exactly sure what to do with and we don't have a lot of the coping mechanisms available that we can go deal with those emotions they just are swirling around us i've talked to people uh, each week who are like gosh this is just a bad week i'm just feeling it this week or or i'm just i just feel Uh, You know, oppression spiritually, we've had several uh, in in our prayer group and other pastors and ministers that have talked about just feeling this overwhelming sense of just spiritual attack. You may be feeling that as well. One of the reasons we wanted to talk about emotions was not just to say, hey, let's talk about feels. But the reality, this is where we are, and if we allow them, they will drive us. They will cause us to make decisions that are not necessarily wise decisions, but we're doing them because it feels like that's what we need to do. And usually the feelings that are driving us are the feelings of comfort, peace, lack of conflict, no risk, happiness, or at least survival. The reality is if we're going to follow Jesus, he says You've got, you're going to have to do better than that. The great thing about following Jesus is he also says you're not going to have to do this alone. So here's what I want to do. I want to share with you how Jesus handled some of his feelings. I want to share with you some of the things through Ephesians that Paul says um, about how we as followers of Jesus also are to live life intentionally, not emotionally, recognizing our emotions are real, but we usually cannot control them. And then as we go through that, I hope that gives you some some courage and and encouragement for you to be able to go and to live intentionally as we begin to emerge out of all of this. So Luke 22, I want to return because this is just such an important part of Jesus's story and how he felt and then how he dealt with his feelings. We're returning to the garden before he was betrayed. This is Luke 22, beginning with verse 39, and Jesus is basically having a... He's basically having a moment where he's saying, God, I'm just not sure about this. And we recognize that Jesus is fully God, but we also recognize that Jesus is fully human. And being fully human, he has all of the anxieties about pain and discomfort that the rest of us do. And if we're honest, and in all truth, what we're going to end up doing is we're going to be addressing the risk of what we're going to do in our lives based on its comfort level. I, actually, before we read this, um, there are a couple of, of kind of polar ways that people deal with risk. And I want you to know you will not be able to live a fulfilled, a fulfilled life if you do not take risks. The first one, show the, I've got a picture of a dog. Throw him up there if you would, Jeremy. Jeremy. So this is how most people will go through life trying to deal with risk. The dog wrapped in bubble wrap, and he's ready to go out into the day. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be harmed. I don't want to be knocked on one side or the other. I, I just want to kind of get through life as safely and with as the least amount of discomfort as possible, which seems very reasonable, doesn't it? It seems like that's a good way to live life. Most of us will live life. well. There's, then there's there's this guy, next picture who has a completely different picture of risk. He's working on the air conditioning unit. I hope this isn't in the U.S. Uh, I don't think that passes OSHA standards. But here he is installing this air conditioner on the outside of a building with nothing. I don't think he even has a strap on. I mean, he's just, yeah, if that thing goes, he goes, yeah, he's got his safety glasses on, and he's got his water back there in case he gets thirsty, so he's going to take care of his dehydration. But uh, on the uh, you know, one hand, are we approaching life as the dog with bubble wrap all over us? And on the other hand, are we just really making stupid decisions that are risky and have no reward? Yeah, we do both. We do both. And let's be honest, some of those things that are risky and they're really stupid, they're a lot of fun too. I get that. How did Jesus handle his feelings? He didn't do the bubble wrap and he didn't go sit on an HVAC on the side of the building. How did he deal with them? Verse 39 of Luke 22 says, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, this is what we constantly see with Jesus is that when things get tough, Jesus goes and prays. Now, he's trying to teach his apostles this because the day's coming when he's not going to be there, and they're going to have to be able to continue on in this faith without him being right there in the flesh in front of them. They don't really get that yet, but he's trying to pass on these kind of spiritual rhythms that he's been teaching them their whole time together, that you need to spend time in prayer. So he invites them, and he says, don't fall asleep. I know you're tired. It's late at night, but we need to pray. So Jesus goes off. To pray, and he says he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Now, we could just talk about this. Because Jesus demonstrates a couple of different things. One, he demonstrates great anxiety and a desire not to experience the pain that's coming. Now, you either now or at some point in your life have had to make a decision knowing this is the right decision, but it's going to be a painful decision. And generally, you have to make the decision. Either I am going to do it, no matter how painful it is, Or I'm going to avoid the pain, but I will not do that thing that really needs to be done. Jesus shows us his thought process as he's going through this, being very vulnerable. And the apostles felt this was important that we share with other people that Jesus went through this. And he says, Father, if if there's another way, if you can take this cup from me. But without missing a breath, without skipping a beat, Jesus says not my will, your will be done. And the reality for followers of Jesus is we don't always do a good job with this. Jesus shows us two important things here. And if you're going to follow Jesus and if you're going to abandon all all normality for something that is super normal, supernatural, something that involves God involved in your life on a daily basis. You're going to be tasked with the decision to take a risk that may have great pain associated with it, but yet you feel like this is the right thing to do. Jesus knew that what he wanted, which was ultimately what most of us want, To enjoy life and to be comfortable and to be happy and for things to work out just the way it's supposed to, isn't going to work out that way. That's not the way life settles in. We can escape life, but that's not what we end up escaping to. Instead, he knows there's a bigger plan at place and he says, your will, not mine. This is the biggest problem for people today when you are constantly programmed with a message that says what you want is the most important thing. In the world. I'm convinced this is one of the reasons that that birth rates have plummeted across the world, because we have taken into this mindset that, you know what, we need to not have to sacrifice for a child. And I get it. Not everyone should have kids. Not everyone's called to have kids. I will tell you, as a parent of four, they change you. I have more gray hairs. I'm I'm sure I would have fewer gray hairs than I do now if I didn't have kids. But they also grow you. (laughs) They stretch you. They help you to see things in the world you don't normally see. They bring joy into your life in sometimes the most unexpected moments. They laugh or they smile or they joke with you or they say, Hey, I was just thinking about you. All of a sudden you say, "How oh, you know what? All the things that were difficult about growing our family were worth it. I'm excited to be able to still spend life with my parents and Deidre with her parents. And as they are getting older, we cherish those times that we have with them. And we model for our kids that we want them to spend that time with us too. We hope we don't run them off or we hope we don't make too many mistakes that they don't want to hang out with us anymore. But there's a lot of joy in life of doing life long-term with your family. I want to encourage you, there are times you have to make hard decisions and they hurt. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us here anything about having kids. But that's just one area of life. This sacrifice brings great reward. Risk brings great reward. Jesus, in his mind, said this, God has a plan, and it is more important than what I want. I'm going to follow his plan. He has a will. It's more important than my will. Jesus said this in other places, like pick up your cross. He says you have to deny yourself. He says you have to follow after me. You have to leave everything. He asked a rich young ruler, who wanted him to be his rabbi, and he came and he said to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to know your ways. I want, to, I want to be with you. And he says, yes, I can see that in you, but you still are holding on to your wealth. If you'll give that up, then come on. And he left sad because he couldn't give up that thing that he still loved greatly. Jesus loved his life, but not as much as what the Father had planned. The other thing we see here, and this is important for Christians to recognize because we do talk about suffering a, a decent amount here because Jesus talked about suffering a decent amount and told his apostles, you need to be prepared if you're going to follow me, there's going to be some suffering involved. That's just going to happen. That's the reality of what's going to happen. So we talk about that too. It's not very popular in America to talk about suffering, by the way. What we want to talk about is how do you avoid suffering, but Jesus goes goes right to it. He goes right to the suffering and he says, not my will, but yours be done. And then when he does that, he is strengthened by God. It's really hard to understand how God could call us to so many things until we feel that he has strengthened us for them. There is a, there is an empowerment that comes knowing God is doing something in you. You begin to see the world differently. Things that just others think haphazardly happened, you begin to see a pattern. Look at what God is doing and putting into place. This is amazing. Things you would never do out of fear, you begin to do and you see reward from it and you are thankful that God empowered you and strengthened you to do those things. Thanks. Some of you have done that throughout this year. You've been uncertain and you're not real sure what's going to happen. And you've continued to support Journey either by being involved online or you've continued to support Journey financially. You've continued to call and write letters. You've continued to reach out to each other. Some have continued to do Zoom, um, Bible studies and different things like that. You, You have done different things, not knowing what the future holds. You've been empowered through them. I think there are many people that are struggling right now, not knowing what they're supposed to do. But those who have been seeking God's will throughout this pandemic, they have not skipped a beat. There has been much work to be done over this past year, and they have continued that work. As we come out of it, it is time for us to continue that work. So how do we handle our emotions? Jesus saw that there was a bigger planet place that that his comfort was not the thing that should derail God's bigger plans and his bigger plans were that you and I would know him forever we would be forgiven for our sins it's been an eternity with him as we go through and look at one of the greatest letters in the New Testament rather than reading through it all i just want to i want to hit a few of the highlights. We find Paul talking in his letter to the Ephesians about how we are to live life, which is really an interesting study. And honestly, there's no way to do this justice today. We're going to come back and we're going to do a week by week through the book of Ephesians at some point. All right, maybe we'll do another interactive um, sermon series through Ephesians. So The first three chapters, just to give you a quick overview, the first three chapters is Paul basically saying the church in Ephesus, remember, this is what God has done for you to bring you into his family. Gee, God looked out on us, sinful people, rejecting him and said, I'm going to do something intentionally for them. I'm going to be involved within their lives. I'm going to send my son. My son is going to come and suffer and die for them so they can be forgiven for their sins, some of which they don't even recognize our sins. I'm going to intentionally choose to adopt them into my family. I'm going to intentionally choose to give them the Holy Spirit. Remember, as we've looked throughout um, our series on the afterlife and we've looked through Genesis, there was a time in which God's kingdom and the world overlapped together. That was the Garden of Eden. And then we saw those kingdoms overlapping again in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And then they overlapped again when Jesus himself came and lived among us, God dwelt in the flesh among us and now today he still comes and he's with us as the holy spirit that lives within us paul said look there's 500 other people out there that have seen the risen christ you can go talk to them right now wouldn't it be great if today we could still do that you can still go talk to them right now they saw him after he walked out of the grave they saw his wounds they saw that it was the same man they saw that this son of god was dead, and then he was alive. We've got proof. Look at these 500 people. You can go talk to you can go talk to them right now. Paul just had a way with cutting through all of the minutiae to go right to the point. These first three chapters is, is him basically saying God has intentionally loved you. God has intentionally come after you. God has intentionally overlooked your trespasses so that he could be with you. And then you move on into the book of Ephesians or the letter of, uh, to the church in Ephesus and you find that starting with chapter 4 through the rest of the letter you find that Paul is basically saying now because you are a new creation because you are now in the family of God because you are now following Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit there is a way that you should live your life. Is it the highlight starting with chapter 4. We find that Just like Jesus, you have a calling to live intentionally. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, Therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, walk in a manner worthy of a calling to which you have been called. Can I rephrase that? Walk in a manner in which you are willing to do God's will and not your own, which is what Jesus said. That calling means God has asked you to live in a certain way. Will you do it? A few of you have checked on me over the last few weeks. I've been very frustrated for a number of years now. The number of high profile leaders who have acted so terribly in private. It has hurt our faith because some of our most passionate. Um, and most uh, the well spoken leaders of the faith were living a completely different life behind the scenes and in a world that already is cynical and questioning everything when they look at some of our highest profile leaders as people who are hypocritical then there 's no reason they want to have anything to do with Jesus because they don 't believe it 's real because the people we put on a pedestal clearly don 't believe it 's real or if they do. They have really not battled their feelings. And they've just done whatever. Felt good. And in so doing, they end up hurting others. They end up hurting themselves. They hurt their families. They hurt the church. They hurt the cause of Christ. Now, certainly we are all sinful. And I am by no means perfect. And I don't say that as some kind of humble brag We are all broken, but there are some levels of depravity that demonstrate a person is only interested in their selfish desires. And we're seeing that. Mainstream leader after mainstream leader after mainstream leader. And it's hurting the cause of Christ and it's hurting it deeply that's one of the reasons relationships are so important It's one of the reasons authenticity is so important it's one of the reasons that we have to be in the room together loving people no matter what they're going through to say you know what we're broken but we love you but there's also a place where we have to recognize we are called to something which means we have to struggle at times to say no not me even though this is really what my inner heart wants we We looked in weeks past that when Paul says, "You are made a new creation, that's actually the wrong translation he's if it's translated correctly would say something more to the effect of "As you are becoming a new creation, as in we're on a journey becoming something more than we were, and maybe we're not all the way where we need to be, but we're not where we were. That's a cause for celebration. We need to see that. In and of ourselves, we have a calling to live intentionally in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Paul moves on in verse 11 to tell us that living intentionally supercharges our growth. When you take a risk to do something that matters, when you fight the need and the tendency to want to just be comfortable and be, be passive and to sit back and just not let anything bad happen within your life. You miss out on the opportunity to see your maturity and growth supercharged. Verse 11 says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, we have to understand the body of Christ is more than just what we do on Sunday mornings in a building. The body of Christ are our people. It's what we do. It's, it's why we pray for our, our fellow pastor across the road. It's why we partner and link arms with other churches. It's why we get together with people that are different from us, and we say, you know what? We love you even if we don't go to church together, which in the South is you know, kind of crazy because a lot of times it's like, well, where do you go to church? Oh, okay. But we're all part of the body of Christ. We're all part of the body of Christ. He calls us and he equips us to equip each other to build it up. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, or I would add womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Everything he's saying in verses 11 through 16 is this. When we live intentionally and when we are living for the kingdom of God and we are encouraging and building up each other, we grow, we mature. We're no longer children. We become mature believers. I will tell you, maturity cannot be gained by playing it safe all the time and anything. Some of you want a new job. You hate your job. doesn't pay enough. You don't get enough credibility for your skills and abilities. You have no retirement to speak of, and you don't know how you're going to work till you literally work yourself into a grave. You hate your job, but in order to do anything different, it's going to cost you something. And that cost feels like it's greater than just going to work another day. And we make that decision day in and day out until a month goes by, until a year goes by, until 10 years go by. And we're stuck in the same place because at the end of the day, it was going to cost us to make a leap, and we chose not to pay that cost. See, you can't grow without risk and you can't grow without cost. If we could, we could literally sit in an empty room and just by the time we walk out, we have become a whole new person. Absolutely, God could visit us in that room and speak to us and completely change our perspective, but that is not how God works. He says, follow me. He says, deny yourself. He says, let me take you where you wouldn't go on your own. He says, you are going to at times follow me into the green pastures, and you're going to look around, and you're going to see the birds and the butterflies. You're going to see the blue skies, and you're going to see the rolling meadows, and you're going to think this is what life was meant to be. Thank you, God, for bringing me here. Thank you for this life that I'm living. This is so exciting. Can we just stay here? And he's going to say no. We're going to take this little winding dark path over here. And we're not just going to be in those green pastures. We're going to go to some very dark places, but we're not going to be afraid because God is with us. He even tells us his rod and his staff they're going to comfort us. And it's hard to understand that unless you've been in a position where you are in high risk and you need somebody there to make sure you're taking the right steps so that you don't fall off the cliff. I remember when I was in college, I did a a year in uh, or a year, I did a summer on a uh, Navajo Indian Reservation in New Mexico. We spent a summer there. It was in the middle of the Hentavirus. (laughs) It was crazy, crazy times. We had to make a call as to whether we were still going to fulfill our commitment to this medical compound that ended up being ground zero for the Hentavirus back in the early 90s, if you remember that. I remember we had to have a conversation when we walked in the door. The first within the first hour of walking in the door, we had CDC representatives meeting with us saying, Okay, here's how you're not going to die (laughs) while you're here. Let me tell you, that is not the kind of college mission trip anyone anticipates taking. I'm going to tell you, I probably grew more on that trip than any other trip I've ever been on. There was risk. There was danger. The rod and the staff of the CDC comforted me (laughs) because they told me what I needed to do and not do, and it kept me alive. I'm still here. So when God is walking through those dark valleys with us, rod and the staff, they comfort us, not because we, we like to be disciplined. They comfort us because they show us the way to health and joy and life. And we're thankful for those. But if you've never been in a place where you're in danger, you don't understand that. He says, I'm inviting you to a life with me, but this life, it has risk. Will you follow that risk with me? See, living intentionally supercharges our growth. Living emotionally keeps us trapped. Living intentionally requires us to see the world differently than we used to. He jumps down at verse 17 of chapter 4, and he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, listen to this, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed. Oh, this is so important for followers of Jesus to recognize how we become a new creation. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness And holiness. There is a part of living intentionally that when we stop just defaulting to our basic emotional states, our minds are renewed, which means we see the world differently. You will not follow Christ for the rest of your life if you do not begin to see the world differently. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is the calling to say, there's more to the world than what you see with your two eyes. This is what happens when he says, if you will follow me, if you will recognize there's something in you that's broken and keeping you trapped, and I want to set you free from that. And it changes the way you see the world. And you say, where you go, I want to go. Who you are, I want to be. It's the idea that we are following someone who is changing us. The renewing of the Spirit in our minds to put on the new self. So living intentionally requires us to see the world differently. Living intentionally also means walking in step with this spirit. And if we jump to Ephesians 5, he then goes on to say this on how we are to live our lives. He says, look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Oh my goodness. How many days do we wake up and we turn on the news and we just resonate with this? The days feel so evil. We don't even know what to believe. Mm. making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is, which is what Jesus said, your will, not mine, which means we need to be seeking what that is. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit which empowers us, changes us, helps us to see things we didn't see before. The last thing I want to share that we could spend a lot more times in Ephesians. Oh my goodness, this is just, it's not even fair to Ephesians to jump through it like this, but I want you to see over and over again, not only did Jesus say live intentionally, Paul is really teaching intently about, he even goes so far as to say, listen, I train every day. I I, I beat the air. It's like I'm boxing. I'm running to run a race so I can win. Like I am intentional. I know what I'm going for. I'm just telling you with all of the distractions in the world today, if we're not intentional, we will not follow Jesus. We will not follow Jesus. And the last thing I want to share, and I'm sharing it last because this is the order in which he talks about it in Ephesians, but also because it should be our last motivation, but it is a truth and a reality that we need to recognize and 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 I feel, I experience in my life. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 says... They're talking about bondservants, masters and slaves, not quite the same idea of slavery that we all think of when we use that word, but bondservants. This is, he's talking about for those people that are just kind of making a living and have, have just basically sold themselves to someone for a period of time. And sometimes those relationships worked really well. And sometimes those relationships didn't work really well. And the Jewish law had a And a beautiful way of just restoring people and ending these relationships so a person was not a bondservant for the rest of their life if they followed what God had taught them. But in case you're not necessarily in the best situation, (laughs) this is what he says to those who seek to be living intentionally and to follow God's will and to seek living for God rather than just their own natural default emotional states. He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, mm. but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will. Oh, and this is where it gets good. This is where we need to hear. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to Man, I, in, in other words, like there are times that we go to work and the people we report to, um, we don't particularly enjoy reporting to them. I'm sure you've had one of those experiences. If you're not having that experience right now. The things in our minds when they tell us what to do and the things in our minds when we have to go meet with them and the things in our minds when they do a, a performance review may not be the most honoring of God. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But in this, Paul is telling them, how do you deal with a relationship that you're kind of stuck with, that you're not real happy about? Rendering a service with a goodwill as to the Lord, not to man. Have you ever considered that stocking shelves, you're doing it for God and not for the store? Putting paper in a copier, you're doing that for God, not for the business you work for. Making a delivery for a company that you deliver for, the work ethic that you show, the way you interact with people, the way you do your job is not just so that you can do a good job or get a raise or get a promotion or get a attaboy or an girl, but instead you're doing it because this honors God. Changes our perspective on living intentionally, rendering service with the goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Because what he's really talking about here are relationships between people. But treat that relationship like what you're doing and how you're living is intentionally towards God, not just towards them. And he goes on and says, knowing, verse 8, that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bond servant or is free, in other words, this applies to everybody. When we live intentionally to follow God's will, we receive back from the Lord. Now, that does not mean that you get a check from your employer and God puts another, you know, gilded check in the mail to you as well. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a letter from the mortgage company and say, you know what, something happened, you don't owe any more on your house. It'd be nice. It doesn't mean you get a statement on your retirement and all of a sudden it's just grown 600% and you've not put a dime in it. We often think in those terms in America because we tend to think about wholeness, happiness in monetary terms. But he says, I'm going to reward you for living intentionally. I'm going to reward you for following me. I'm not only going to strengthen you as the angel strengthened. Jesus in the garden, but I am literally going to be here watching over you, and as you do these things for me, and it rewards you for that. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think I would still be a follower of Jesus if I didn't feel like he was still rewarding me. Peace is sometimes far more valuable than money. The ability to know that what you're doing matters is far more valuable than and getting praise. To know that you're not alone and that God is with you is far more encouraging. You know what encouraging means? It means I take a little bit of courage of my courage and I give it to you. I'm encouraging you. God encourages us by taking some of His courage and giving it to us because He loves us and He's with us. But you don't experience those things unless you live intentionally. And I'm telling you, there is some great truth to the reality. The greater the reward, then the greater the risk in order to receive the award. Now, let's be honest. The guy sitting on the air conditioner, great risk, not great reward. Okay? So there, those things fall apart all over the place. But if you aren't willing to take risks, I'm telling you, you will not usually see the great rewards. just won't happen. So how do we close this out? Your feelings were meant to enhance your life. Acknowledge them. Recognize your feelings. Recognize what you're going through. But live intentionally to become what Jesus died for you to become. Just pray with me, Father. God, I pray that as we continue to grow and to move in our own relationship with you, that. You would give us the courage to take risks, that we would recognize you intentionally chose us, you loved us, you sent your son to die for us, you gave us a new life. Father, I pray that as we move forward into this reemergence, coming out of quarantine and out of COVID, and as we continually move progressively through that, I, I pray that you would empower us and let us see how you're calling us to make a difference in our community now. Let us see how the world has changed. Father, I pray that we would demonstrate what it means to really love you. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for the beauty of your love. I ask all this in Jesus' name.